The following content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Counseling, and I'm the Ippy Award winning author of Stop Looking for a Husband, Find the Love of Your Life, and Nasty Divorce A Kid's Eye View. I've written positive divorce advice for the Huff Post, and I'm trained in clinical hypnosis. And this podcast is for out of the box thinkers, and it's for those who hear the call of hope and always another way. And if you're very rigid and set in your beliefs, this is probably not your cup of tea. However, you should note taste can and do change. And this is episode number 98 today, which means there are 97 other great episodes of Always Another Way podcast. So make sure that you are subscribed on your podcast app or at Another Way Hypnosis on YouTube. And be sure to rate this podcast because the more ratings we have and the more subscriptions we have, the more it moves up and the more people that can hear these inspiring stories. And today's is no different, so get ready with your share button to share this podcast. First, I um, want to say uh, yippee yay, because the disgusting rapist Harry Weinstein was sentenced to 23 years, which is a precedent because other scumbag rapists like Brock Turner get like six months. So um, message to you, don't do it. But uh, that being said, the... um, The Me Too movement and the statistics on rape are completely wrong. It is not one in four women. It is more like two in four. And also the stats for men are higher than listed as well because men tend to internalize things like that even more so than women are. And most survivors of this are shamed, um, unlike other crimes like being robbed and I talk about this before, you have no problem telling people you were robbed and who that person was. But when you're raped, suddenly you become the focal point of it and you're made to feel bad. But you never feel bad if somebody comes and steals your purse off you. But I digress. Um, Trauma. Uh, I talk a lot about the aces too high and you can look that up. The majority of people in this world have had some sort of trauma in their life. And you don't get to choose how your brain reacts to trauma. Um, That's one of the problems I've always had with the DSM. A lot of people go through traumas and then they come to see a therapist who then labels them with something like bipolar, borderline personality disorder, you'll be depressed for forever, and you have anxiety. And not that these aren't real things, not that people don't suffer the symptoms of depression, the symptoms of anxiety, the symptoms of bipolar, the symptoms of borderline. But I am the utmost believer that what you think you are will become you. So if you are told you are bipolar versus you have certain symptoms that you can manage or do something different with, I believe that shapes the direction of where you're going. But my guest is a perfect example of grit and resilience and action. And just so you know, everyone 
can have grit and everyone can be resilient. Just sometimes you don't know what you don't know, or maybe you haven't heard stories of someone that's had something like you've had overcome it. So Mitzi Orcus, after spending her first professional decade working as an asset manager in the oil and gas industry, Mitzi chose to allow her life's most challenging experiences to define her purpose. She is now a certified peer support, support specialist and a small business owner who develops grit, resilience, and a growth mindset in adolescence. Mitzi's passion lies in empowering others to have confidence in the tough choices that they have to make for themselves. So welcome to the show, Mitzi. So nice to be with you today. <gasps> I'm so excited. I know. Because I know you personally, and she's a badass, just so we know. <laughs> But um, what's even more exciting is I'm, I didn't meet you like from the beginning of everything that happened, but I met you about 10 years ago when you were um, in a more medicated state. Yes. And, um, and I can say like a, just a brighter version of yourself. I could see that in there, but I want you to kind of tell people just sort of from the beginning, you know, a little bit about how your life sort of progressed in this curve hit a roadblock and then yeah. skyrocketed you to where you are now. There you go. Yeah. I had a really interesting and traumatic experience when I was in college. Um, and it really did change the way everything functioned in that moment. I was in my last year of college and it's funny the way trauma affects the body. I made the best grades that I made in college in that last year. Mm -hmm. But when I finished, had graduated, and had a period in between graduation and starting full-time employment, I bottomed out. Yeah. And so I was taking Tylenol PM. I was drinking way too much gin with Tylenol PM, and I may not have made a direct attempt to end my life, but I definitely didn't have any desire to live it. Right. And so I went and told my parents. And, and you just kept that with yourself for up until then. Yeah, yeah. I shared within a week of the experience I shared with my younger sister first um, and then other members of my family what had happened. Uh, it took a, a little bit of time but eventually got into therapy and had been seeing a therapist for a period of months mm. before really the PTSD kind of sat in where I slowed down enough to let it creep back in. Right. And so I reached out and found incredible resources through the Taw Center in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I did a week and a half um, inpatient stay there and at the time was diagnosed as being bipolar. Mm -hmm. And so there's a demonstrated family history on my paternal side from both my paternal grandmother and grandfather. So that wasn't out of the box or weird. A lot of the pieces in the puzzle fit the diagnosis. Yeah. And so that was it. I did a month of outpatient recovery before I moved to Texas to start my full-time job. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of at that time laid the groundwork for what the next phase of life was gonna be. There was a lot of self-responsibility, a lot of new medications that were in my life at this time. And I was incredibly excited about what came forward, yeah. what was coming in the, in the future. So. Because you were told that like, hey, all this stuff is going to make you better. 
Yeah, I am someone who realized, and I have a, a family history, so there are several adults that I had seen live with the challenges on the bipolar spectrum. Yeah. And so that was not the life that I was signing up for. Yeah. And f that was just it. So I was going to do whatever I had to do to be responsible to address this. Yeah. And so for me at the time, this meant um, regular therapy, anti-anxiety meds, mood stabilizers, antidepressants. When the PTSD was really bad, there were blood thinners so that I wouldn't have nightmares at night. Mm -hmm. um, but never like trauma-specific therapy at that time? No, like not- Like EMDR or any of, or was that not even a thing then? No, yeah. no trauma-specific no trauma therapy. Just all talk therapy. therapy. All talk therapy, and it's really funny, 10, 15 years later, I go back and I find resources that have a, a date printed on them before my experience. but. Wow. There wasn't a conduit or a system. There weren't podcasts to get on and listen to. Yeah. It was different back then. Yeah, for sure. Um, the medicine was good in a lot of ways in the beginning. I, I felt like I was doing what I needed to be doing. Mm -hmm. There were real complications every time you try a new medication or you make a change to medication. But And you're on multiple medications. You're on multiple medications. And so this really was an eight-year journey. Mm -hmm. um, during the time I was hospitalized repeatedly, my blood was toxic. Yeah. There were times- like, Wait, hospitalized because of the medication you're taking or because of your like- No, still because of the issues. medication. Okay. And so even though I was doing like Every other week, blood tests, um, I still ended up in the hospital. My blood was toxic. And wow. so it was the mm -hmm. medication causing the toxicity yeah. um, and the medication causing bigger physical issues. Yeah. Um, and so while emotional issues may have been at bay, there was a whole other set of problems that I was learning to address and cope with at yeah. the time. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then when did you like, so... Was the medicine always working for you or did it stop working at some point? Did you notice like other issues kind of creeping back up or when was it that you're like, at some point, this is the program is not working yeah, for me. At some point there was a transition and hindsight is 2020. So I don't know yeah. that I realized this when I was in the moment, but yeah. at some point it became a lot less of managing the disorder I'd been diagnosed with. And it became all about managing the symptoms that were occurring from the things that I was doing to deal with the trauma. So yeah. the actions I was taking was causing more problems. Yeah, and so, and when I met you, and so we might have a picture, but like a lot of that medication like caused you to gain a lot of weight. And um, yeah. 25 and then, to 30 pounds a year for yeah. four or five years in a row. Yeah. So I doubled in weight. Yeah, and to be honest, like, I could tell because I had an experience of antidepressants in college and I would go from one to another because I'm like, this just, it makes me feel like a zombie. <laughs> like yeah. it just was like, it was like this fog where like, okay, I'm not really depressed, but I'm just like, I wasn't me. Yes. And it was just like, felt like a fog. And when I met you, like I could almost feel like I saw this like person inside, but this like in a haze. Cause I could tell, I was like, I knew you were super smart, but just like almost when you see like, you know, there's something going on that's not letting this person be this person. Yeah, I yeah. really now can admit I was almost catatonic in yeah. some ways. It, it, it's sad to go back and think about it, yeah. but it's You don't true. know what you don't know and the doctor's giving you stuff. You, you know? don't know what you don't know. I talk a lot about my light and sharing my light with others, yeah. but the medication that I was on dimmed my light. Sure. Um, and it was just like a permanent dimness that I existed in. Yeah. And so then when you're, you're, you're dim and then you finally realize like, okay, uh, what was the, what was the moment when you're like, I don't, I don't want to keep doing what I'm doing. 
I had a my last traumatic experience, there was two. One was a blood toxicity issue. I was back in grad school getting my MBA at the time and my aunt flew in from New Orleans basically to drive me around because as you're transitioning off of medicines, you can't drive anywhere. And so there were real points of debilitation where I realized I am incapable of taking care of myself. I was married and still my husband and I were incapable of taking care of things. Just and how the two old were you then? Like 20s, 27, 28. Yeah, so really young. Really young. Uh -huh. um, but there was no other option. Yeah. So you just kept trying new medications, trying different mixes, continuing to do therapy, continuing to invest in meditation, in yoga, in, in fitness, but always committed to the medication because the only way to prevent going back to where I was, mm -hmm. at least I thought, was to stay medicated. Yeah. And so I had lived in Dallas for a decade, moved back to New Orleans, which is where I am from, and had to switch doctors. Yeah. And this is what opened the door to another way for me. Yeah. I had an incredible new psychiatrist that I found. I, I had one or two before I found the incredible one. Yeah. It's always a process of finding the right doctor for you. Yeah. Um, but I met with a doctor and was just continuing to evolve in my maintenance of my uh, challenges. Mm -hmm. And I went through a period where I didn't sleep for five days. And that's not good. <laughs> I don't know if yeah. any of you have not slept for five days, but this destroys the body. Yeah. And to a point, you after three or four days, you can't drive. Well, it mentally breaks you down, too. Oh, it mentally breaks you down. And yeah. I remember laying in bed and reading and just trying to occupy my own time, knowing that sleep would come. I ended up going to the emergency room and having them put me to sleep. Wow. Mm. Um, and it was the best call. I went to my doctor the, the very next week and said, this is unacceptable. Yeah, right? <laughs> this <laughs> is unacceptable. I was transitioning into a new job. I was going to teach. Yeah. And... Um, I knew I, I can't have a period as an educator where I don't sleep for five days. And right. so this is when my psychiatrist recommended that I evaluate something else. Yeah. A life without medication. I mean, and how freaking brilliant is that? The, per the one person that prescribes medication to like, to really like just not be a pill pusher. You yes. know what I mean? But see like, cause not I mean, there are some meds that are really life-saving people, but not all are good for everybody. I had had a season of life where I was paying $850 for one of seven prescriptions that I was on. There's no price that I put on my wellness and, yeah. and being above the line of illness and disease. And so- And you could afford to do that too. I could afford to do that. Yeah. And I was lucky because I could afford to do that, but it's- Yeah, but really what kind of life was it in hindsight? It was a life where I was struggling to sleep. I, I, not to sleep, I was struggling to stay awake. I'd sleep 14 hours a day. I'd wake up and have three empty Gatorade bottles by the side of the bed yeah. because my body chemistry, like the physiology was just out of whack. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't have anyone talking to me about these issues. Even yeah. the, and I had an excellent healthcare support team in place, but no one talked to me about how to manage the weight gain or what the weight gain would ha have an effect on yeah. because all of my other systems were impacted by that. Yeah. And so when this talk doctor suggested that I consider a life of, without medicine. Yeah. What did you think when she first said that? Like, oh no, I'll go like downhill or? I laughed out loud. Yeah. I mean, I just laughed out loud. It might've been a maniacal, like a maniacal joker like laugh because yeah. I just, I didn't think it was a possibility, but she just kept talking and she didn't it wasn't a joke. And as soon as I realized it wasn't a joke, 
there was hope. Yeah. And I realized the power of what hope can do because I was done. I knew what I was doing wasn't working. There wasn't a way out. There wasn't a way to improve. I'm an engineer by degree, so I'm trained to have an analytical, iterative approach to problem solving. Yeah. And there were no other Because you just thought, well, try. this is it. I'm just taking it all, and this is like my life. This is just what I, like, and a part of me knew. Yeah. A part of me always knew. This is not what my life is meant to be. Yeah. And different experiences with different people, one after another, reassured me of that. And when a doctor came to me and said, you are capable of this, capable of this, yeah. I was all in. Because that is it. In the brain, like a different label. You all are in. not powerless. You are powerful. I had, I had options. Yeah. And options meant growth. And growth and change meant something different and something to look forward to. And that's all I really, really need in order to go forward is something to look forward to. Yeah. It's amazing how many people struggle to get to just that point right? in life. And but it's game changing. It's game changing. This doctor was incredible. She had some real ultimatums for me though. Yeah, um, and, yeah. and to anyone who um, might have a similar story in their own life, it's really important that you are talking to your doctor about these choices as you are, are going through. But my doctor gave me an ultimatum. If I wanted to get off of medications, one, I had to agree to see with her quarterly. Um, and that so doesn't she can measure, stop. get you tapered down. And, all and that. I yeah. have been off of medication for almost six years. I still check in with my doctor every four months. Yeah. Um, the next requirement of hers was that I learned to supplement for my body differently. And her deal breaker was that I used Young Living's essential oils mm -hmm. um, to supplement for medicine. Yeah. And she gave me a three-month window to start using the essential oils before I started transitioning off the medicine. Yeah. Now, I'm just, at the time, was not a granola person, not a hoodoo. This was yeah. bullshit to me. Yeah. I mean, but I don't care. I was desperate. I'd do anything. So right. sure, You're like, I'm, on, right I'm on other medicines. Bring something else on. Now, this was different because I didn't have someone selling a product from a network marketing organization pushing this on me. I had a doctor. She told me how to go and look for people that could educate me. Yeah. And so this became a different ballgame. Yeah. Um, I found an incredible resource in this group of people that I got connected to. Yeah. Um, and plain individuals, moms, women's, women, parents that had dealt with similar challenges authentically shared their experiences with me. Yeah. And this is how I learned how to take care of myself differently. And when did you start to notice? So you, you're getting on this like in that three month like transition. When did you start to see like Things are getting better. I don't know. It, it didn't happen at first. Mm -hmm. It took a long time. I remember. I did you ever feel like, well, this is bullshit still, like it's not working? Kind of. Uh -huh. Not, no. I never felt like it wasn't working. Yeah. I could always just tell that I was in the process still. I yeah. remember one year for Thanksgiving, I was staying with um, my former in-laws mm -hmm. and I couldn't get out of bed. I slept a massive amount of time over that weekend and I... I knew it looked odd. I know that people didn't understand my choice. I didn't yeah. tell anyone about yeah. my choice to get off medicine immediately at the time. Yeah. And so, um, but I could tell I was sleep, like it, I could see the differences. I could tell my body was changing. I could tell. So I, that was it. Yeah. I could just tell it was a process. So you're like, I'm, go I'm moving in the right direction. I'm going to keep going. I remember um, a, re a specific moment. It was about just before two years after I had gotten off the medicine. Mm -hmm. And one of my aunts said, you know, 
your your hands never shake anymore. The medicines caused a real tremor. Yeah. That prevented me from cutting my meat at the dinner table. So yeah. debilitating yeah. side effects. Um, she, and she made a comment she noticed. Yeah. And so I was like, uh oh. Uh-huh. All right, I got to call my mom and dad. I got to call my sister. I now need to tell the people in my life what I did because right. I'm past it. When isn't it like there's a lot of fear around when people are medicated for something, like if they go off their meds, and not that there aren't some things that you do need to be medicated for, schizophrenia and some other things, but that you're going to like go sideways, you know, and crash yes. and burn. I and you were under a doctor's care. Under yeah. a doctor's care. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the most incredible support system. I am so blessed in that regard, but I still didn't feel comfortable being honest about my truth. Yeah. Um, and while it might have been a selfish choice, I didn't want to deal with anyone else's judgment. I had enough on my plate. I yeah. knew what was coming. My yeah. body had a big, a big task ahead of it, and I had a lot to learn about my body in the process. And yeah. I didn't want to do that under anyone else's judgment. Right. Um, which taught me about my own need to learn to be imperfectly brave. Yeah. So let's, let's dive into that realm. So how long did it take for you to be like, okay, like to really feel like this is, this is completely like game changing for me. Six months after I was off of medication, I knew I was no longer in that haze. Uh-huh. I had a major um, change of awareness in life. I realized that I was the straight spouse in a mixed orientation marriage. Yeah. And it's something that I don't think my head really got around until it got clear. Yeah. So I know there was that six month window where all of a sudden I saw the world a little differently. Right. Um, as time progressed, and the medications were off the body. I was teaching at the time. And I realized I was going to leave the marriage that I was in. Yeah. And it was the right choice for me and my ex-husband, who are still good friends to this day. Yeah. Um, but it, it might not have been the right choice for the world that we were living in. And this was really hard for people as we started to share our truth. Yeah. So can you kind of speak a little bit about like, like, like high level, like what went down then you wanted to do it and then it was just not well received. Um, well, there's a, a, there's a massive amount of like, that, that's a, a high level question. Yeah. Um, was it well received? Yes. And no shock and awe. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of disbelief. This was the kind of news that takes people weeks to process in their mind. Yeah. Um, and that's the people closest to you. It takes a really long time to process it. I had years to process it before I shared it with anyone else. Right. And so, um, for people that were not as close to me, it was very different. Mm-hmm. I learned that I learned a lot about micro expressions. I learned a lot yeah. that that people are enabled maybe to hide a look of pity yeah. when they see you from across the room. Uh-huh. Um, and then judgment, judgment, yeah, a lot of judgment. Um, I live in New Orleans. It is a Catholic city. I was working at a religious school. And so there were a lot of issues that came here. Um, I was in an environment where people felt like I needed to keep my truth quiet, that it getting out was a problem. Mm -hmm. And I just, and let's just like uh, real quick, like unpack that when people want you to keep truth quiet, which is not uh, life is messy. And this is how shame lives and thrives mm-hmm. in silence. When you say, oh, don't talk about that. And I grew up in an environment like, oh, don't talk about getting divorced. Like, no, no, no. Like, don't say anything about that. Or don't talk about right. that person's abusive. Like, you don't want to ruin them. You don't want to do this. And then the other people 
That is just where shame just grows and perfection and all these things simmer. And then it's a, well, a shit show. And <laughs> maybe the, the, it gives you the unhealthy illusion that you can control the conversation. Right? You can't. No, because everybody knows. Everybody. Like, when you know something's messed up, and you're like, oh, yeah, she's on a bunch of pills, but let's pretend like she's not. Um, I'm not saying you, but you know yeah, what I mean. No, but that really, that really is. And yeah. so this was a, this was a lot. This was overstimulation. And really this was overstimulation at a time where my brain was just still learning to cope with stimulation. Right. And so o overwhelming is a good word for it. Yeah. Um, and could have been an example of like, Hey, we worked through this and we're cool. And why can't everybody else be cool? And, you know, you to know? many people, they, to many people, that is how they see it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, every story, it's beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And you right. have to want to see the beauty in your story and in your experience if for, be, for it to be there. Yeah. As soon as you want to see it, you will. Yeah. And I, I believe that. Well, so let's move on to that. So you have this. So this happens and you're so, like, okay, I got to do something else. So this happens and I was teaching at a religious school and I realized this was not a healthy environment for me. Mm -hmm. And so I paid to get out of my contract for the upcoming school year. It is the first time I walked away from a job without another game plan in place. Mm -hmm. um, and this was my absolute moment of imperfect bravery. Yeah. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what was going to come, but I know certain truths. I know that we are all born with gifts and that they are unique to us. And that if we have the courage to authentically share them with others, it is going to lead us to where we are meant to be. That's right. And so I, I had to have a, dra a drastic change of path because the path I was on really wasn't a conduit for that authenticity. Yeah. I went and freelanced as a consultant. I started working with about 15 different schools in the greater New Orleans area. This put me in touch doing professional development for educators. It allowed me to see curriculum at different schools and to stay connected to adolescents. And I went and got certified by our State Department of Health as a peer support specialist. And what this really is, is a, another member of the behavioral health support community who is trained to spread a message of hope um, and to empower you to make the right choices for yourself. And because suicide is the number two leading cause of death for children aged 13 to 21, yes. the number two cause of death. And without hope, and that is the sign if you're a therapist or anyone else, when somebody is hopeless, that's when it's going to go bad. Exactly. Uh -huh. I had a powerful experience when I was in the classroom. I shared a TED Talk with my students. I was a, a mathematics teacher, and I shared with them a bonus mm -hmm. um, about teaching girls to be brave, not perfect. And check that out if you haven't seen it yet. Uh -huh. I had my kids watch this and write a journal reflex reflection on it. And one of my students wrote seven pages and had the bravery to share about her eating disorder. Wow. She shared about her dream to go to college out of state, about what she was going to have to address to make her dreams come true. And it was in this moment that I realized I'm not trained for how I want to support these women. Yeah. It's what led me to find out about that certification opportunity and is what made me the right adult for her to call the first the first, the right adult for her to call the first time she had an incident and a flare up. Yeah. And so it was a beautiful full circle moment where I realized it takes great courage to walk away from what you're doing, yeah. but it brings you to the place that where you're meant to be. Right. And so the reward for that authentic, like authenticity, the re a reward for your vulnerability, you, 
it comes on the back end, but you've got to put it out there first. Yeah. And then, so how does that, and so how does that work? Like the stuff that you do with people, you know, with, uh, yeah, with all the kids, with kids and really not just with the adults. Mm -hmm. What I've learned is that when we verbalize other strengths, when we tell other people what they do well and what they did right, we are subconsciously giving them permission to believe those things about themselves. And then they start to identify with those strengths. Yeah. And so I'm now someone who works as a coach and mentor. I'm creating programming for kids, both at the high school and collegiate level. And in that programming, we're identifying their gifts. Yeah. We're getting them comfortable standing up in front of a room, giving an elevator pitch, saying who they are and what they're passionate about and what their purpose is. It's just a skill that we need and, to work with everyone on. And, and nobody learned that, you know, really in the, like the time, especially that I grew up was just essentially like, you know, just get good grades and like, don't tell anybody when you have a problem, fix it. <laughs> Whole person development mm -hmm. for me is about balance, mm -hmm. but that means you've got to be balancing, not just your field, your career or your, your schooling, but your fitness, your finance. And there's actually seven F's. I use a system called ULA uh -huh. and you can check this out online, the ULA wheel, but faith, family, friends, finance, fitness, fun, field. Mm -hmm. And so these are seven areas of balance that I'm always trying to keep in line and that I'm always trying to encourage people to have the bravery to address for themselves. Yeah. So let's talk about what imperfect bravery really is. Yeah. Imperfect bravery is letting go of perfectionism. Um, and this TED talk that I referenced talks about this. Yeah. Um, the woman who gave this TED talk spoke about how she, she teaches men and women, you know, she teaches kids to code. Yeah. And she noted that young boys come to her and say, there's a problem with my work. Yeah. And they've got a page full on the screen and she goes and identifies the, area, the, the error, but young women come in with a blank screen and say, there's a problem with me. Oh, and wow. so this isn't any one person, but this is almost a societal impact yeah. in how we're raising young women. We tell our boys to go and swing from the monkey bars, but we tell young women to be careful. Yeah. And then when we go to problem solve, instead of thinking out of the box and thinking creatively, our instincts tell us to be careful. Yeah. And so to follow the leader, don't do anything different because you don't want to be, you yes. know. I have a student I support that wants to sing opera at the Met one day, and she writes with a pencil yeah. from the Met every day. And that's her imperfect bravery because she never knows if she's going to get there, but every day she is going to acknowledge her desire and her gift. And that's what imperfect bravery looks like to her. And that's freaking game changing. It's game changing. I mean, because words are so important, even just from the get go. So if you are told from when you're young, you can't do this. And it's, I, I say that people can like um, hypnotize themselves to wrong things all the time. So if somebody tells you you're not good at this, and then you repeat that in your head, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. You've just hypnotized yourself into believing you're not good at something. And really our brains do not work like that. You can learn most anything. Yeah, you can. Uh -huh. You absolutely can. And that's, that is the thing. We, our brains, from an evolutionary standpoint, 
we are able to adapt. And so as long as we're willing to do the work and invest the time, now the amount of time you might have to take and yeah. invest to do something is different for me. Right. But if we're willing to invest the time, we will eventually get there. Yeah, that's for in sure. In all things. And once you realize that about small things, um, you can apply that on a bigger scale. Yeah. And so you can take a kid who has an F in a subject and teach that kid that they can make that F a B. Yeah. And then that kid isn't so afraid of failure anymore. They, they learn to ask for help. They learn that when they ask for help, they can get support. And once they've gotten support, they learn what to do with the support. And these, it, it's beautiful. There's a, a million, a million stories that have come from this evolution and they just keep coming. That's the best part. Yeah. And what would you say to somebody listening there that just feels like they're stuck? Maybe they're on you know, whatever has happened to them in life. And then it's not to belittle like, uh, because really bad things happen to a lot of people um, that are, that you, you know, that you don't want to happen. But how would you tell somebody to, if they, like, how do you know, you know, to understand that like, maybe this is not where I should be. I could be, I could be something else, you know? How do you know? Well, I think someone tells you, uh -huh. I do. I think someone tells you. For me, it's always been that way. Yeah. Maybe I have the thought I could do this, yeah. but I don't know that I always believe it in myself until someone validates that. And I think a lot of us, especially younger in life, mm -hmm. are really heavy, heavily dependent on that validation. Right. Um, Mel Robbins, five second rule. Five, four, three, two, one. Five, four, three, two, one. I read that book. Uh -huh. Five, four, three, two, one, get out of bed. Yeah. And for some of us in our trauma and in our hardest moments, that's where it starts. You just have to get out of bed, commit to getting out of bed. For me, I had to commit to making the bed mm -hmm. because if I made my bed, I wouldn't get back in it until it was time to go to sleep. Yeah. And the commitment to make my bed every day changed my life. Yeah. And that, that sounds so simple, but even if it's just that one thing you can do to make that the first step. The brain doesn't have ability to differentiate if you closed a million dollar deal or if you made a bed. Progress, success, and accomplishment of the goal registers the same way. That's right. So set the goal and hold yourself to just one. And when you hold yourself to just that one goal for one day, do it the next. And when you do that one goal five days in a row, keep going. Yeah. When you get to 21 days. And actually, that, that was my rule, Marina, when I lost weight. I didn't mm -hmm. diet. I didn't exercise. I gave myself 21-day habit cycles. Nice. I do something different. Uh -huh. Like and I'm not going to have a soda for 21 days. I'm not going to have the soda for 21 days. I'm going to get seven hours of sleep for 21 days. Uh -huh. That was a big part when I got off the medication. And that makes a huge difference because like, less sleep like makes you gain weight. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. And so all of those pieces for me, 21-day increments of just doing one thing and building on that six years later has transformed my life, what I do. I am now self-employed. I have time freedom. I have financial freedom. I have the ability to come to Dallas on a Thursday for an opportunity like this. Mm -hmm. um, and I wouldn't have been there if I didn't take the first leap. That's right. And make my bed. Yeah. That's amazing. And I mean, really just to see the change and difference, like from when I first met you, cause I first met you when you were in that fog and then just to see you like now, like, oh my gosh. And then you just like, I think about like the millions of people out there that are in a fog and you, there's a person like this underneath them within them that is vivacious, that it has a gift that can be absolutely game changing. And it's just 
digging that person out. <laughs> I am a big believer that the universe gives you exactly what you need when you're ready. Yeah. And in that period of years, right before I left Dallas and went through this transition in my life, I met the right people. You were one of those people who came into my life at that time. So there were people that were sending the right message and helping gearing me up before I even considered what was coming. Yeah. And we don't know who's listening, right? We don't know who needs that message, but as long as we step up to the plate every day, as long as we engage authentically in every conversation, it's hard to do all the time. We get caught up in life. We get caught up in our own storms, but we're helping people. We're, we're the pieces to their puzzle and we don't even know it. Yeah. Which is just all the more important to just like be out there and be, I think, be an encourager yeah. as much as you can. I have um, a group of individuals, three individuals that I support right now, all transitioning off of antidepressants for different reasons. And as I'm working with these young women in their early to mid-20s, um, I think back often because some of them may be at the make your bed phase. Yeah. And so it's so hard when you see someone here sitting like this, I'm sure neither, no one looking at either one of us yeah, and I've been imagines in a, like the a, day where we weren't making our bed, but we have both been there. For sure. For sure. In my closet, like, man, this fucking sucks. This is it. I'm <laughs> done. I don't even, but as soon as you start realizing, wait, this woman's vivacious. This woman has a personality. Wait, she was there. Yeah. Well, then you realize, wait a minute, if someone else got from this point, if someone else was in this low, then I can make that jump too. Absolutely. And that's, I think, with all changes, seeing somebody that's done something and just like with a back to the me too, like just not knowing I had thought, because I had stuff happen to me when I was little and something in college. And I really thought like, oh, that's a price you pay. You know that's... what I mean? For being a girl, like, fuck, that's just what you got to like. It's the, it's what you have to go through and just suffer through. Mm -hmm. for being a girl or for getting drunk or for something like that until I realized like, no, that is not yeah. the freaking price you pay. And then, wow, but it sends you into that shame spiral, that anxiety, depression that messes you up when you're just like, wait, no, <laughs> not <Yes>. true. <laughs> you know, I have a, a girl that I've mentored for years and it's funny because I'm learning. They might mentor me just as much as I've mentored them. Yeah. But she actually created a beautiful piece of artwork for me that had a quote on it from R.H. Sin. And it said, some women fear the fire. Some women become the fire. Oh, yeah. And I realized we cannot control what happens to us. We can't control the cards that we are dealt in life, mm -hmm. but we do control how we let those experiences transform us. Right. And you can either let that fire destroy you and destroy the foundation that you have built, or you can let that fire become a part of your beauty and your light. And that's what I try to do every day as I go forward in big and small ways. Right. And just to encourage others of that same thing. And I think really you are just like living testament of showing that like it is absolutely possible to yeah. like be a game changer and that it doesn't like, um, you know, I try to think of it like, and I think of that now about things I'm like, this shit ain't taking me down. Like right. I'm not going down this way from somebody else, this crap. Yeah. You and know? you know, it's important for people to know too that there are certified peer support specialists in states all across this so, country. How do you find one? 
You not yeah. only how do you find one, how do you become one? Yeah. Because if you're listening to this podcast, you yourself probably have a message of hope. And that's what certified peer support specialists are. Yeah. They are people who are an example of hope to others. You're taught specifically about empowering language. Yeah. You're taught to watch your interaction, your mindset in a little bit different way. Um, you go through your state department of health. Yeah. How do you find one? You really, your state department of health, because every state is going to operate and practice differently. Mm -hmm. If you are someone who is seeing a, a therapist, a peer support specialist is someone who can function maybe more as a coach, yeah. but at a more, um, an, a less expensive price point yeah. might be a good way of saying it. You are someone who needs to have been touched by trauma yeah. in order to, to receive this certification, whether that's in regards to substance use challenges or behavioral health challenges. I was certified with an NFL player who was born to an addicted mother and shook for six years. Oh, wow. Um, and that was what he needed to get certified. But yeah. it is a really great program for anyone, whether you're a certified healthcare professional or just someone who is in a vocation or a ministry where you're serving others. Right. Where you see that like, well, this is a super huge need because even as kids, like even if you have really great parents, like not all kids want to talk to their parents about stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Like just because, you know, I was a kid once. <laughs> yeah. Um, parents, I mean, parents are incredible and, and kids love their parents. Mm -hmm. They still want another adult member in their village to be a sounding board. Lots of times kids want someone to talk to how, uh, about how to talk to their parents about things. Right? Because sometimes, because we don't always get the best parents. You don't get to pick those either. You don't get to pick those either. Mm -hmm. And even if you have great parents, like learning to communicate with them in adolescence and as a young adult is different than in childhood. Mm -hmm. So sounding boards at all stages right. and phases. Right, right, right. Yeah. We have just like, maybe like five or so more minutes so awesome. what else do we want to talk about say let people know and then also like how to find you if they want to work with you and what you've got coming up yeah, yeah. well you can find me in new orleans listening to live music playing with my nieces and nephews. Mm -hmm. You can also get a hold of me online at, on Instagram at Imperfect Bravery, my website, imperfectbravery.com. I am in the building phases of a lot of scenes, so you'll just catch a landing page right now, but I'll, got, I'll have programming that I'll be putting up this summer. Awesome. Um, I am excited to start working with women over maybe a nine-month period um, and start with high school age juniors and seniors. And we'll continue my work with the graduating seniors as we transition them to the workforce. I mean, what a game changer. It's fabulous. You don't exactly, and I think you can attest to this sometimes, we don't know where we're going and we don't know how we're going to fulfill our purpose, but we have an idea. We know that there's something that we believe in that we're meant to stand behind and we're meant to share. Um, and I'm enjoying the, the process of exploring and seeing what's coming and the incredible people that have been brought into my circle as, as it's unfolded. Yeah. Isn't that just rewarding to see like kids who you like, you know, that there's something there and then, but they don't believe it or, or maybe told that there's not. And then just watching that, like light switch come on. I work with about 55, 60 adolescents right now in this spring semester and 
They inspire me every day. It's almost like they just haven't been corrupted yet. By yeah. like life just hasn't settled in yet. Yeah. Um, but they are brave. They think of the world differently. They do think of how that they can change and affect and impact this world in beautiful ways. And as soon as one person gets in their corner, they start doing it. So it really has been a gift to be here with you today. I'm excited to get back home and get back to what I have going on. And I'm excited to connect with any of you that listen to the podcast today. And I will put all of your information in the show notes. And I just really want to thank you so much for being on and sharing your wonderful story. Thanks for having Badassness me. and imperfect bravery. I have enjoyed listening to your podcast. I can't wait to celebrate your 100th episode. Coming Big up. things. Um, you have shown me many other ways to do things and I'm giving thanks for the ones you'll share in the future. Oh, well, thank you, girl. And for all of you listening, you know that there is always another way.